For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tune in as we chat about the impact of mindfulness and how to change your child's negative self-talk into self-love. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we're going to be focusing on teaching your autistic child self-love. And positive thoughts with that. Mindfulness, I think is, yeah, another word for it. There we go. I was trying to think of what it was, but positive thoughts was the first thing that came to mind. So Mindfulness. So (laughs) I'm not sure how familiar everyone is out there with the concept of a growth mindset. Basically, a growth mindset is when you think of things differently, like in terms of challenges or failures, you see them as an opportunity to try to continue to grow and develop as a person rather than seeing it as like a stopping point or a roadblock. So part of this episode is kind of trying to think about that concept and applying it towards our autistic children when as a side effect of being given this label of autism as a child, there often comes low self-esteem or the negative self-talk or just all the negatives that come with navigating life as an autistic person. And I was going to say the growth mindset, is that what it's called? Yeah. Is not specific to um, individuals with autism. Because I mean, as you were giving that description, I was like, well, gosh, I could sure be a case study throughout my high school and college years for turning down kind of a a certain career or major field because I thought it'd be too complicated. And I kind of wrote myself off, oh, I'm too dumb to do X, Y, and Z. And therefore I'm going to pick this other major because I think that that is something I am better equipped to handle. But in reality, it was basically an obstacle that I was putting in front of me that if I hadn't put that obstacle, who's to say that that would have been how things would have turned out. And do you feel like having accommodations and disabilities and stuff, do you feel like that's what impacted that? So I've always had accommodations um, from elementary school, I guess through high school. In college, I didn't, I guess, I didn't bother, which probably didn't help out. Uh, (laughs) But I think that's, it sounds bad, but honestly, I think that might be part of the reason why I wrote myself off as, okay, I'm dumb because I'm in special classes that it's very slow paced. They really water down the material just so I'm able to kind of catch up. So my entire education prior to college, I felt like I was never at the bar that I should be for whatever my grade level was at the time. I felt like I was always trying to play catch up. So maybe it could have had a different impact, but who's to say one way or the other? And I can definitely relate to that growing up with my disabilities and learning challenges. I definitely fell into this trap of feeling like if you're not meeting up to the standards of your peers, if you're not able to keep up with them, if you're not able to understand what they understand, how they understand it, it starts impacting your self-esteem and you start to think like, well, I must be dumb. I must not be capable. I must not be able to overcome these obstacles because they're bigger for me than other people. That's where that negative 
negative self-talk comes into play, turning down of opportunities and all that stuff that comes with it comes into play too because you become intimidated by these roadblocks that are there, are real, but aren't necessarily as big as you think they are. I think, yeah, I think you... Not specifically you, Leah, but I I think you tend to amplify your own insecurities rather than recognizing the dimension of what they actually are. Because I'm thinking back to my younger years and I don't think that anyone ever like pointed at me and said like, oh, you're stupid. Like you, you're not learning this as fast as I am. I don't think there was any individual, but at the same time, because I already had kind of the low self-esteem, I'm not really sure they needed to because I already kind of wrote myself off as, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not at that level. And honestly, the thing that I always point out is parents should start having these conversations with their children sooner rather than later. And when it comes to teaching them self-love, because I feel like parents tend to fall into the trap of thinking like, oh, my child's still really young. They're not understanding that yet. They, they don't really know that they're being like talked about, like they can't tell or things like that. I remember and reflect upon my childhood and I can remember as young as like five or six years old, I can remember feeling like I was being excluded by my peers or I couldn't interact with them in the way that I thought I was supposed to. And just like the frustration points that came there. And I remember being as young as five or six thinking, wow, something must be wrong with me because everybody else gets this, but I don't. So I feel like waiting until your child is older because people often say, oh, I'll have that talk with them when they're a teenager. I'll wait till they're older. I feel like waiting is just it does more harm than good because waiting provides an environment for your child to kind of like sit in and dwell on all the negativity and it leaves them to their own devices. So instead of having somebody to help them out, they're left to fend for themselves. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned around, I think you said kindergarten around five. Yeah, five or six. I think when I was in kindergarten too, I thought that like the boys in my kindergarten class were gross because they were super immature. So it's just interesting because, I mean, thinking as a parent where you're like, oh, a five-year-old, I mean, is like a a little kid. They probably don't know about much of the world, but it's surprising that they are much more aware of situations than you would necessarily think of. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with our oldest daughter, because it seems like she has started struggling a little bit with kind of, I don't know how you'd classify it. Kind of like perfectionist OCD. Right. She has to feel like she's right with whatever task she's working on, whether it's like numbers, letters, whatever. She feels like she has to get the answer right. Otherwise, she kind of shuts down. She has like a meltdown. Like it actually will trigger a meltdown if she feels like she did something wrong. And by doing something wrong, it's like just a little mistake. Like, for example, if she's counting to 10 and when she gets to 10, she accidentally says 11. We know that she knows it. She knows that she knows it. But because she made that little mistake, she starts freaking out and then she feels like she's a failure. And then she tries to give like an almost like an explanation for why. To justify it. Right. Yeah. So, and I mean, and she'll kind of repeat herself. And we've seen that before where when she would be sad or upset and I would comfort her saying, it's okay, you're okay. And I would kind of repeat that back to her to try and like build her up a little bit. She's kind of like repeating some of the same things back. So it's like she's kind of having that internal struggle that we've kind of seen from basically as soon as she was able to talk. When it comes to autism, because it's often associated with the rigidity in the behaviors, it's also like associated with rigidity of thought. Sometimes it can be associated with higher prevalence of OCD and those types of behaviors. Because of that connection and association, I think it makes it harder for autistic individuals to be able to reconcile mistakes or anything that's not 
quote unquote perfect or okay because if an autistic person does in fact like order and routine as much as they do, like anything outside of that order, outside of that routine could serve as a trigger. My interpretation of that from observing her is I feel like it is that she feels like her world is not right like all things are not right with the world if she gets one of those things wrong and it just bothers her so much because she needs it to be right to feel safe but kind of saying like oh it's okay like no problem like that phrase like that doesn't help i mean we kind of go into kind of meltdown territory and it's it's kind of we have to work on kind of bringing her back like talking her off the ledge right and i'm kind of reflecting on like okay how is our like parenting style if it has any contributing factor to if we've built something up that we weren't aware of at the time like maybe we gave her too much confidence that oh every time you're right we praise you like crazy but every time you're wrong we say oh no you didn't do it right and i don't really think that's the case but i think that when she does get something right we get excited we say oh good job like we kind of say like oh yay we're proud of you like whatever but then if she gets it wrong we we don't have like the same inflection in our voice we don't have the same like oh congratulations kind of thing it's like oh nice try like kind of like almost say like like pat on the back kind of thing it's almost like we have in trying to raise our child with like a positive mindset it's almost like we inadvertently conditioned her to feel like she shouldn't get a reward when she does things imperfectly so this is like one of the things that I want to like challenge everyone listening to I know that for us specifically, like we do praise the good things. But one of the things that I've learned is that when our child makes a mistake, how we use our language is important. And so my challenge for everyone is to consider the redirection of language. And for us, the way that I have done that is instead of just saying good job with all the good times, and then if she makes a mistake, usually what we do is we point out the mistake and we're like, oh, no, no, that doesn't go there. It goes here. And then that is kind of like what triggers the meltdown. So what I've been working on is instead of doing that, using the same type of reinforcement, positive language, but in a way that's applicable, like saying, oh, good trying or, oh, I see you tried to do this. That's very good trying. You know, like still reinforcing and encouraging the attempt because trying is still important. And that's part of the growth mindset. You can't grow if you don't try. And there's always going to be failure. So we want to encourage them to continue to feel okay with trying and failing. Right. I think the, I mean, even you did it right there, kind of the inflection in your voice as far as like the nice trying. So it's still kind of a transition for like, oh, good job to, oh, good try. Yes, you're saying different words, but the inflection is still there. So it's like almost like a slight change of like your expression, but it's almost like a bridge to down the road if she's in school, for example, and someone's like, oh, nice try. You got the answer wrong. Obviously, like that's really harsh compared to that. But I mean, we're just kind of tilting it just a little closer to, oh, nice try, essentially. So in the real world, hopefully down the road, she'll be able to manage failure or make a mistake more easily if we're able to kind of get her there. I feel like when we are trying to use language in a way that can be positive and kind of teach that, you know, failure is okay by rewarding the attempts and the tries as well, we also build a level of resiliency. So it's like we're teaching them to be able to handle conflict more. That really will help when it comes to like social interactions, for example, because you can take that same mindset and apply it to social situations like, oh, I really tried to make this friend, but this friend didn't want to hang out with me. Nobody likes me. What do I do? You can still use the same principle so that they can build that resiliency when it comes to failed relationships as well. 
That way it doesn't always come back on them and they feel like it was their fault. It's just like a matter of that growth development being like, okay, we don't always get it on the first try. Everything doesn't always go according to plan, but we learn from this and we make adjustments and we try to move forward without breaking their spirit, essentially. And I think we talked about this before. I'm going to say the term, smell the flowers. Um, <laughs> so as far as like the like self-regulate, Regulation. Regulation of kind of the breathing. Okay, I'm breathing in through my nose, out through my mouth, trying to like calm myself. Originally, we started it during like a meltdown where we kind of teach her, okay, smell the flowers, breathe slowly. And we've actually kind of seen that carry over into even some of these situations where if she makes a mistake or she's upset, we'll see her kind of lying on the carpet and we'll see her kind of taking deep breaths to try and get back to kind of a neutral stance rather than kind of going down the rabbit hole of shifting into a meltdown or a tantrum or anything along those lines. Some of the skills that we have been working on for something almost not related are kind of carrying over. So I'm hoping with the self-love and the mindfulness, if we're able to teach some of these small little skills, just breathing technique, that she's able to use those to kind of use it as a building block to kind of help her in other avenues as well. And another thing to keep in mind is something that's commonly associated with autism is the lack of an ability to be able to really understand and sense your emotions and how you're feeling. Not all autistics, but some autistics will, for example, feel a certain way in their body physiologically. And a neurotypical person would know when I have this feeling in my stomach, it means I'm happy. Like, for example, the butterflies in your stomach, it could mean happy, but you also know it could mean anxiety depending on the context of the situation you're in. But for some people with autism, they don't necessarily know what that means. They can't really understand the associations. So when it comes to teaching mindfulness and this growth mindset, that's particularly important, I think, for autistic individuals who already struggle with being able to understand emotional concepts sometimes. Well, it's interesting that you point that out because I'm thinking of when our oldest is crying and like she'll be um, upset crying on the ground for whatever reason. And we ask her like, are you sad? And she'll reply, no, I'm happy. So I'm not sure if that has anything to do with it or if she's just wanting to be like, say the opposite of whatever we say, just because she's upset with whatever the situation is. I know that she's always had a hard time with just understanding her body in general. So that definitely is potentially an issue there. But the reason that we bring this up is because if we're trying to teach our children self-love and we're trying to teach them the growth mindset, we first need to be able to have them understand how they are feeling. You can't really build off of that if you don't have that foundation first. So I really think that there's some great ways to do that, whether it's like bringing them through counseling to help them if they're old enough for that. With older kids, you can go through like talk therapy, but with younger kids and what we plan on doing with our child, there's also great play therapy option. And I'm not sure if you guys have heard of play therapy, but I used to work at a play therapy clinic and it was great because they literally do counseling therapies, but it's like through a play style. So they might have puppets or toys or things like that, sand trays, and there's different types of therapy sessions that are all through play. So your child doesn't even really understand that they're in therapy, but they're able to use art and drama and toys and everything to be able to help express and kind of figure out and untangle those emotions. See, I didn't even know play therapy was a thing. But I mean, just thinking about it, I mean, from the outside looking in, I like the idea of it because if your child is playing and they're not focused on, oh, this person is 
talking to me and asking me strange questions or, or whatever. If they're just focused on, oh, I want to paint like a flower or something, they're not thinking about kind of what's happening in the background. Therefore, you might be able to get a better response, a better overview of kind of where they're at, kind of in their development as far as their feelings, because you're not even thinking about feelings when they're playing or drawing or whatever. So it's kind of a brilliant idea. And there's other ways to do it, too. Like there's also music therapy. There's like equine therapy. There's a bunch of different ways to do it that doesn't necessarily have to be talk therapy. So if you have a younger child, there's a lot of options for them. Or even if you have an older child who just has a harder time with communication, like maybe they're more nonverbal or they're just not able to really verbally express themselves efficiently. That's another way that you can do it is try to go through these other therapy routes. But I think just like overall, I think is the reason we decided to talk about teaching them self-love and this growth mindset is because I personally and Matt personally experienced what it's like growing up neurodiverse and having learning disabilities. And we both felt the very real impacts to our self-esteem growing up and how it influenced our decision-making growing up, what career pathways we took, what jobs we decided to take, what degrees we decided to pursue or not pursue. That was all directly impacted by our neurodiversity and how the world treated it and how we thought of ourselves. So one of the most important lessons that I learned growing up neurodiverse is that really at the end of the day, we have the most power over our own minds and our own success in life because we are our our biggest roadblocks. And if we can just learn that growth mindset, that adaptation, that ability to not fear failure, but to be able to grow with failure and be able to overcome and continue to try, that to me was the biggest thing that helped me become what I've become as an adult and overcome those challenges and be successful despite all those initial difficulties. Yeah, I think it's hard because you putting the roadblocks is one thing, but also the outside world setting up additional barriers if they themselves are not pursuing whatever it is, like a career path, like, okay, engineering is, if you talk to anyone, what are your thoughts about engineering? Majority of people be, oh, it's very difficult. There's a lot of math. It's really complicated, all this. I mean, and yes, I mean, I'm not an engineer, (laughs) so probably a bad example, but I'm sure, yes, there are, I mean, you probably have to study a lot. I mean, learn very complicated equations, how to solve them and all that, but Everyone is kind of giving you, oh, it's so hard, like you're going to really struggle as opposed to saying like, yeah, it's hard. First couple of years, you're going to have to really push through. But ultimately, like it is doable. It is a career that thousands or millions of people even have. So therefore, it's not impossible. And I think that is the thing. If someone is shutting it down before it even blossoms into an idea as a possible career path, you yourself are like, oh, I've heard that this person, this person, this person all said that it's very, very complicated. Therefore, I don't think I will succeed because I'm not willing to bet on myself. As opposed, to it's doable. There's lots of people can do it. So therefore, bet on yourself and work as hard as you can and see if you can do it. And the hardest part of all of this is when you are the parent is how do you instill that principle in your own child? Like maybe we're listening to this podcast. We understand this information. We can apply it to our lives. But how do we then convince our children to be able to apply that to their own lives? And I feel like there's a couple different ways. One of them is leading by example. So if your child sees that you pursue life with a growth mindset yourself and that when you are faced with challenges or potential failures, they're going to observe how you react to those and what you do as a result. So if you run into a really hard problem and you basically just break down or like, oh, I'm a failure. I can't do this. I'm no good at this. 
they're going to be observing that. They're going to kind of project that onto their own lives. So that's something that we have also learned too, is since I've had kids, I've had to really change how I talk and really change how I react. And I can think certain things, but I no longer vocalize them (laughs) because, you know, with autistic children, you definitely get the echolalia parrot thing going on. A lot more fudge-sickles are... (laughs) around the house. <laughs> yes, <just> as an <laughs> exchange for other words. Oh, so no, let's no, just no. make that clear. <laughs> uh, but I think that like that's one of the ways that we can kind of subtly impact or influence their own growth mindset. And the other way is to sit down. If you have a higher, quote unquote, higher functioning autistic child, take the time to sit down and speak with them. They're never too young to have these conversations. You can just water down the language based off of their age or their intellectual level. Go down to the bare bones. Like if you have a very young child, there's great Daniel Tiger episodes that work on this sort of thing. If you have an older child, then you could probably have more in-depth conversations with more detail and just get to the root of like, why are you feeling this way? What impacted that? What are the challenges you're facing? Let's put a plan together. Let's see how we can work on this and try to maybe do a new idea next time and see how that works. Kind of like creating a hypothesis and a testing module. Yeah, I think it's definitely a good idea to, I mean, first off, lead by example. But I think it's also important to pay attention to any changes in behavior. So I'm in a a dad's group, and one of the dads had recently posted his frustration that a autism school that his son was in, the teacher was basically telling them he had a broken brain. And I mean, that's downright horrible that any person would even think to say that. Let alone in an autism school. Oh, I know. They should be fired. No, absolutely. I mean, I would be floored. I mean, I'm (laughs) not even my kid, and I'm, I mean, emotionally uh, shaken by that. He said that each day that he would come back from the autism school, the young son was hitting his head. And then it was after the dad had done some further investigation that he found out that the teacher was basically saying that your brain is broken. That's why you're doing it wrong. And it's like, well, okay. I mean, even if we are leading by example, we still have to be aware that the world isn't a completely nice place all the time. There are bad apples here or there. So what you have to do is almost counter that, work through those problems. I mean, that I mean that right there is a huge challenge, but I mean, also making sure that they're not put in an environment where someone is telling them these absolutely horrible things. But that's a perfect example of what I mean by being careful of your language around your child, because we don't have the full context of that story. And for all we know, what that person was trying to say is, it's okay, like your brain works differently, for example, but she used the language of your brain is broken. And I feel like that's where the issues kind of rose. So when it comes to that particular situation, it may have just been a matter of using different language. So if it comes to the fact that your child feels that way, like maybe people are bullying them, maybe people are telling them, hey, your brain is broken. It's a matter of having that conversation about the autism. Your brain works differently. It's like beautiful the way it is. It just requires a different path than the other paths that other people are taking. Doesn't mean it's any less valuable. Doesn't mean it's any less beautiful. It's just different. And that's why I'm also such a huge advocate of telling your child that they're autistic at the earliest possible age that you feel like they can understand what you're telling them. Because I think that at the end, it will make a huge impact on their self-esteem. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. I mean, we are, I mean, the two of us just sitting here, I mean, we are completely different on all sorts of different things. I mean, we're not ever going to be the same. I think we just have to basically kind of keep keep on swimming, as Dory would say. 
<laughs> yes. That's pretty much like all we have for you guys today. But if there's one thing that you take out of this episode about teaching your child self-love, I feel like that one thing is to make sure that your child understands that because they're different, doesn't make them lesser. And that because they feel a certain way a certain time or they're challenged a certain way a certain time doesn't mean that that's how it will always be. There is always opportunity for growth no matter how incremental and that every little increment of growth should always be praised and celebrated because it's all important. I hope that this was helpful for you guys. Let me know again on Facebook at Autism Wish if you guys want to hear about anything else in terms of this topic. Just shoot us a comment and we'll be happy to return it. And we'll see you next time. All right, everybody have a good one. Bye. Bye. In summary, we discussed how redirecting our language to praising not just success, but effort despite failure can positively impact your child's resiliency. We also mentioned the importance of helping establish a growth mindset for your child to better enable them to develop positive self-esteem. Lastly, we note how disclosing the diagnosis to your child earlier can help them process and better understand their challenges rather than lead to negative self-talk. Tune in next time as we talk about the effect of autism on sibling dynamics. We answer questions such as, how can I ensure my other children don't feel left out? What can I do to help build a better bond between my kids? And how do I explain autism to my neurotypical children? This is Embracing Autism. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.